2: In business, first impressions are everything. And that's why every business owner needs to know about Ruby. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. You definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. Never miss another customer call again. This year, make your business the best it can be. Visit ruby.com today or just call them at 844-900-R-U-B-Y. Hey everyone, it's Josh, and for this week's Select, I've chosen our 2017 episode, How Champagne Works. It's a charming little episode that, fair warning, will almost certainly make you want a glass of champagne. Unless you're Chuck, though I suspect he secretly did too. Enjoy! Enjoy!
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Hey and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Pierre Clark. <laughs> There's Charles Jacques Bryant. Okay. Jerry Jelly. Oh, nice. <laughs> Roland. Are we allowed to tell everyone your last name, Jerry?
1: We've done it before.
2: Okay. What if they go try to find her on Facebook and find out she doesn't actually exist? It's all just a plant fake Facebook page that we've created.
1: I know that she she is an actual plant. <laughs> right. <laughs> that grows in the corner. Yep. Feed uh, me. I am worried about this one.
2: I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Oh, why? You were worried about the wine one for the same reasons? We didn't
1: do the wine one. I know. That's why. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly why. Is no, it the same e- reason? Exactly for those reasons. Totally because fine, man. No people, one knows
2: anything about champagne.
1: People spend lifetimes <laughs> learning this stuff.
2: Yes, but we have a show and everyone knows that we don't spend a lifetime learning about what we talk about. That uh. We just do our research and we
1: try to find the most interesting stuff. To explain how something works. I know, but these, with, anytime it's something where someone is like such a huge, like where it's such a big thing for so many people. Right. Uh, I just know we're going to mess up pronunciation yeah. since French. Yeah. So Champagne. Right. Champagne. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how Bugs Bunny always
2: pronounced it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So you're following a grand tradition. I didn't know he was a drinker. Well, we are going to talk about champagne. It's a little late now. Do
1: you like champagne? I love champagne. Oh, okay, love it. I don't.
2: I mainly drink sparkling wine. I don't really drink champagne itself. Mm-hmm. But, buddy, this article made me want to drink some champagne.
1: Well, you do a little prosecco, a little cava.
2: Sure, I don't really discriminate.
1: Okay, yeah. I do. I don't drink any of it. You don't like champagne, huh? Nah, I don't like sparkling wine. It's not a. Uh, it's just not. It's not for Chuck, as they say. I gotcha. As, I love as, it. As they say.
2: Love it, man. Um, I particularly love Shan Dalton out in uh, California.
1: I will say one time at a party, though, many years ago, like in the 90s, I drank a lot of just champagne, only champagne.
2: This might be why you don't like champagne. For the
1: only time in my life. No, I actually uh, I felt like a 12-year-old girl. That was wonderful. Oh, that's your problem. No, <laughs> champagne is... Um, no, no, no. I mean... Silly and oh, I see, bubbly and see. fun. Like I played hopscotch and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I know that's terrible. Why would you ever want to do that again?
1: <laughs> I don't mean I felt like a girl because I was drinking champagne. That's what I thought you meant. No, I was no, like, no, Well, no. there's
2: your problem champagne's not a girly drink. No, not I'm not sure at all. there's plenty of people out there who do think that, buddy. I will drink pink champagne at a at with your a, finger up <laughs> at a, a bullfight.
1: Oh, gross.
2: Yeah, you got to do something to wash the pain away. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, it's just not for me, uh, and that gave me a such a bad headache the next day. I, I didn't uh, go back oh, to the yeah. well. I'll have you know, I have someone. If someone wants to toast me, yeah, I won't go. No, I'm not drinking that.
2: Well, you were probably drinking pretty sweet champagne, weren't you? Mm, Usually, I don't remember. The, the higher the sugar content in anything, the the more um, of a hangover you're going to have.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Huh?
2: Well, I love it. Good. You mean I've been to Shandon twice? Okay. Went on a Chandon cruise once. Wow, big fa- fans of Chandon. Where is that? Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's out in um, Napa, Napa Valley. It's famously attached to Moet and Chandon. Uh huh. And then Chandon went and said, "Hey, we're going to open up something in California too." Gotcha. I just said, like, "Cool,"
1: because their terroir is it's can't gotta, be beat. It's got a good terroir, and that's
2: another thing too. This is what I'm nervous about. I'm not nervous about getting it wrong. I'm nervous about coming across like it's just a complete jackass sophisticated you know (laughs) i'm not at all i just like champagne i'm i know more now about champagne doing this research for the last couple of days Uh than i ever had before so i definitely don't put myself out there as like a um an expert in any way shape
1: or form all right so that's called everybody put your emails away 10 minutes of caveats (laughs) by josh and chuck see that was french and you pronounced it great Cavite
2: is that latin
1: Uh, All right, well, I I guess if you don't know anything about Champagne, you might have noticed that we already said both the word Champagne and sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. And um, I think most people probably know this, but some people may not. Um, Champagne is a region in France, and uh, technically, you were only supposed to say Champagne for sparkling wine if it comes from that region.
2: Right, so all Champagne that's sparkling wine is sparkling wine. But all sparkling wine is not champagne. That's right. That that I think that's simplified. <laughs>
1: uh, in Champagne itself, the region is about an hour and a half, ninety minutes or so, northeast of Paris, or east. And this um, article points out that it's one of the least visited regions of France. But I bet I bet they have their fair amount of enthusiasts that go to I would the region. Guess so sure. But maybe just not as many. I don't know. It's the south of France or other Burgundy, maybe. Right. Know.
2: Well, Burgundy comes to mind for sure. Yeah. Um, apparently, Chablis, I didn't realize that that was a, a wine growing region. Did you?
1: I don't think I did. And the uh, very famous Mad Dog region.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> El, Le Nutrin.
1: <laughs> so silly.
2: So, um, So Champagne is a region, it's also a sparkling wine. But yeah, like you said, you you can't make sparkling wine outside of this this Champagne region. And you can even make sparkling wine inside of the Champagne region. And unless you're following a very strictly controlled process Mm -hmm. within this particular region of France, you are not allowed anywhere in the world to call your sparkling wine Champagne. It's, it's what's called an Appalachian, Appalachian – hmm, no, that's a mountain range. <laughs> it's what's called a um, – Appalachian Trail. App- Appalachian d'origine control, <laughs> or AOC is what we're going to call it. But it's basically the same thing with um, bourbon here in the United States, right? Yeah. Where you have to follow specific rules and you have to make it within a specific region. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is – it's – you don't want just any schmo making something that's similar to your product right. but not nearly as good. That's not going through anywhere near the painstaking amount of process um, and labor that you're doing and still call it the same thing you're calling it.
1: You don't want to do that.
2: Yeah, So, and so that, you have
1: to sure. re- restrict it. Especially the French, you know. They're, they're not going to be all willy-nilly about that. Mm-hmm. That's their region.
2: Yeah, apparently there's something like 84,000 acres – which I don't think is a lot.
1: And what are those cities? The two main cities are Rem and Epernay. But uh, we even have a thing in here that says if you say Rem, then you're an American city slicker. Uh,
2: if you say Reims.
1: Oh, okay. Rem, I've seen plenty. But Rons is what they say in the uh, in the Help Me Out article that we got.
2: I think you just earned some fans <laughs> in France with that one.
1: Uh, well, by any other name, it is still champagne, and those are the cities. And there are but three grapes that you can use to make champagne. You can't just say, uh, "Oh, that that muscadine looks nice," <laughs> like they do here in Georgia. Right? Let's throw it in a bottle and ferment it.
2: Yeah. Uh, here, Petey, put this in your mouth, chew it, <laughs> and spit it up in the bottle.
1: There are three grapes, and they are the Pinot Noir grape, the Chardonnay grape, and um, how do you pronounce that last the one?
2: Pinot Monier. Okay. Uh, which is uh, another dark grape, a red grape, or black grape, I think is what they call it.
1: Yeah, if you ever talk to a real wine person and you don't know the lingo, you're going to be confused quick when they say things like black grapes. Right. you will be like, what the heck is a black grape? But
2: if you dig into it, you start to find that there's a lot of overlap in words. There's a lot of ter- multiple terms that describe the same thing. Yeah. Black grape, red grape, same thing.
1: Yeah. You know? Purple grape. Why not? If you say that, you're, you're going to get laughed out of Napa.
2: I like the purple grapes. <laughs> Concord, I think is what they're called. Uh,
1: but Chardonnay is um, of those three is the only all white grape mm-hmm. so um and you know a lot of people might not know this. It's the same with uh, still wine, but you know inside that black skin is white pulp.
2: yeah, depending on when you pick the grape. yeah, so if you pick it early before it has a chance to turn reddish, you can conceivably squeeze clear or white grape juice from red or black grapes.
1: That's right. And that's what's happening in the case of Champagne.
2: Yeah, because if you look at it, you're like, well, I, I mean, this is this is clear. How is this made from red grapes? Well, as we'll see later on, you have Dom Perignon to thank. We should, well, we should go ahead and talk about that, I guess. Well, let's talk about Champagne a little bit for first, and then we'll get to Dom Perignon. So the region itself is pretty ancient. Yeah. Um, the first vineyards in... Champagne were planted by the Romans, who also uh, mined chalk in the area. And there's extensive chalk quarries that are underground that have served as champagne cellars for generations. So the place has been making wine, the region has been making wine for millennia. Um, but it wasn't until about the 16 1700s, when they really kind of took what was a naturally occurring problem, which was... Carbonation happening in their wine, yeah. and and went to town with it. They said, "If you can't beat them, join them." So they they took this thing that was viewed as a flaw in their wine—carbonation, sparkling wine—and they figured out how to make it even more so, and made it its own
1: thing. Yeah, and that um, in that region, that chalk is very key mm-hmm. to uh, what you end up getting because it's very reflective because it's
2: white. It is, so it reflects the sunlight from the ground back up to the leaves, right?
1: Yeah, it's a very unique region. Like, And apparently it's, uh, like if you stumbled upon that region today in our advanced winemaking techniques right. and sparkling wine techniques, you probably wouldn't say, hey, this is a great place to have a vineyard.
2: Right, you go, sacre bleu, the
1: soil <laughs> is terrible. Uh, well, you might, um, because it's. I think it's a little tougher to grow. Like it, there's a very fine line between getting a, a successful vineyard uh, harvest in that region, it, which it, makes it, I think, very special.
2: Yeah, it does. Like, um, apparently, they have cold, short, wet growing seasons, and apparently, that's where the original um, sparkling wine and champagne came from. It was a freak of natural um, natural climate and natural conditions, growing conditions, right? Yeah. Because, as we'll see, a, a second... Um, Fermentation is what creates the carbonation. Yeah. And that would happen naturally because they they would harvest the wine, make wine, store it, and then it would get um, cold all of a sudden, like early, before the fermentation process was done. Right. So fermentation would basically stop, but then there'd be a lot of sugar and yeast left in their wine that hadn't fermented when they started it. So when... Um, spring came around again and things started to warm up, a second fermentation process started and that's really what kicked off the bubbles. Yeah. But for a long time, the people in in um, Champagne, in the Champagne region, were tearing their hair out because they didn't want this. It was a sign that their wine was terrible sure. or poorly made. And like I said, it wasn't until Dom Perignon came along um, who didn't like it himself uh, but was one of the people who created a lot of the techniques that helped um, establish... Champagne is the sparkling wine capital of the world. So he didn't care for it? No, he didn't he didn't um he could he called it uh, mad wine I think is what he called it. He was it. a monk though, right? Yeah, he was a Benedictine monk in the area and in an at, he was the cellar master. Uh-huh. Which is um if you are a cellar master uh, you are in charge as far as champagne goes with basically making the master blend of the champagne.
1: Are you talking about the cuvée?
2: Yes, the (laughs) cuvee. And when you put it together, that's the assemblage, right? That's right. So Dom Perignon was the guy in charge of that for this abbey. He was a monk. His his name was Pierre Perignon. Dom is like, it denotes you're a monk, a Benedictine monk. And um, he was one of the ones who established a lot of the groundwork for creating sparkling wine, creating champagne. Very interesting. Like um, up to that point, you would have um, sparkling wines – in your cellar, but they were using, like, wood and hemp to, like, stop these bottles. Well, that didn't work all that well. Yeah, Bottles would very frequently explode, and cellars were very dangerous places to be because one one of these stoppers came out, it'd shoot across the room, hit another bottle, and that bottle stopper would come out, and all of a sudden you'd have a chain reaction of these wooden stoppers, like, flying at your head. It's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, or Three Stooges or something, <laughs> right? So... Um, Dom Perignon came up with the idea of using cork stoppers in thicker English-type bottles, which yeah, could withstand the pressure, Yeah, um, holding them down with little rope muzzles. Now we use foil and wire.
1: Yeah, what's that called? A muzzle? Yeah, muzzle. There, there's a French word for it, but I can't find it in my nose.
2: <laughs> well, it's Something like that. So he came up with a bunch of stuff. He also was the first one to start blending wines from the region. And as we'll talk about in a few... Um, that's the basis of champagne. You, it's a blend. Champagne. Champagne is a blend of wine.
1: That's right. Should we take a break? Let's. Collect ourselves. Yeah,
2: I'm getting excited. Don't you want some champagne?
1: Nope.
0: L a s i k. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you ride the books, Gene. and have on the business. I understand now stuff with and Charles, stuff you know.
1: Really <laughs> No I mean if you opened a bottle of champagne in here I would I would drink a flute yeah because uh a it's rude when you're offered something sure. to turn your nose up at it
2: right unless you're under 21
1: and B it might help me to relax a little bit. Yeah. About <laughs> it really would. About this thing. You'd feel great. Um, should we talk a little <laughs> bit about uh, the champagne method? Yes. What the French call?
2: La méthode champagne was. Okay. That La méthode champagne So you have, see it. you have to close your septum.
1: <laughs> um, it, this is one reason why champagne is uh, a bit more expensive or can be a bit more expensive um is because it, there's there's a lot of processes involved mm-hmm. and not like there's not with still wine but champagne kind of takes it a step further it's time consuming and it sure there are people's hands and feet involved yeah. a, a lot of times
2: yeah and like you said it's it is it starts with making wine actually it starts even further back than that it starts
1: with growing yeah. the grapes <laughs> that's right uh but fermentation you know all wines are fermented of course and that's the uh, that's when sugar breaks down from the grape juice turns it into alcohol delicious delicious alcohol <laughs> and that is called wine um and just like regular wine still wine like you said I guess we shouldn't call it regular wine just still wine still wine um they start basic with the, wine they start with those grapes uh and in the case of champagne they are, pressed with human feet
2: mm-hmm.
1: which uh, still happens
2: right and i can't
1: help but think of that video still after all these years that poor lady of that poor lady yeah who From, uh,
2: uh at uh
1: chateau elon right oh was that in georgia yeah i don't think i knew that it was a
2: georgia like morning show atlanta morning show i think it was like fox <laughs> live or something yeah. like that
1: i just i can still hear it i haven't seen it in years but if yeah. you don't know what we're talking about there was a one of the early viral videos of this uh, of this uh, woman on location, doing a story about wine in Georgia, and she was stomping on the wine and uh, fell Up on a,
2: a platform for some reason. Yeah,
1: and she fell out of the barrel and and hurt herself, but it sounded like she was in very much uh, heavy distress. Like
2: new dimensions of pain. Yeah, or the sounds that the woman made. I've never heard anything like it before or since.
1: Me neither. Um, yeah, I'm it's very pretty sad. sure she's okay. Yeah, that's why I don't mind talking about it now. It's right. not like she was, you know, maimed for life or anything like that.
2: I always think of I Love Lucy, too. Oh, yeah? That very famous grape-stomping scene, yeah. you know, where she gets in, like, a grape-throwing fight with the lady.
1: Man, Lucy, she was always getting into trouble, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was shot in the studio where they filmed that show one time in California. Oh, yeah? Right there in Hollywood. Yeah, it was kind of neat. Yeah. One of the grips just came over. He was like, you know, this is the I Love Lucy studio. And you went... <laughs> I smelled the grapes. Uh, all right. So where were we? Um, feet. Feet. Yeah, which is this wonderful old world technique that I didn't know this. I didn't know that you have to do that for champagne. Is it just because it's so delicate? Yeah, I think
2: that's part of it. But also they kind of shy away from machinery and the method champagne was. Really? Yes. All right. It's a it's a traditional method. Even though, if you look back at the history of winemaking, Champagne is very relatively new. Oh yeah, like we're talking 1700s, right? Sure, so they've been making wine for m- many thousands of years, right? So this is a fairly new invention, but it was still invented at a time where you mainly used human labor for for things like this. So yeah, they've t- they've tended to preserve. That as much as possible.
1: All right. Well, you've got your juice, your uh, white juice, and um, well, they put it in stainless steel vats, unless you're super old world, I guess.
2: <laughs> uh, some people do use wood still, but like, yeah, the, you're allowed to use for the for the initial fermentation where you're like you're just making the basic wine. Yeah, you can use stainless steel. Yeah,
1: so there it sits for a long time, uh, ferments, becomes still wine, and. Uh, like we said, this is just the first uh, fermentation, and then you move on to the blending, which is where that all-important cellar master comes in.
2: Right. So if you're a cellar master for a champagne house, you are, unless you're a very specific type of champagne house where you actually make champagne from growing the grapes to the finished product, Right. Um, you are probably going around the champagne region trying different champagnes or trying different wines, still wines, Yeah, and you're coming up with in your head a uh, blend of all these different wines, and that blend, as we said before, is called the cuvee, and the cuvee is, it's just that, it's a blend of wine, and it has mainly three different factors involved that you have to take into consideration if you're the cellar master, right? Yes. If it's a vintage cuvee, a vintage blend of wines, then that means it's using grapes That were all grown in the same year, the same growing season.
1: Yeah, and I imagine these Cellar Masters, I mean, you said they're tasting things. I'm sure they are, but I imagine these Cellar Masters in Champagne also kind of know exactly where they're going to go for most of these.
2: Sure, and they also would know, like, well, if you guys have 2007 vintage wine... Like, that was a great year. That was a great year, or... That year was kind of rough. It might take it add a neat edge to some other 2009 grapes I'm using too, right? These are what these people are walking around with in their heads. That kind of that level of information. So they're putting it all together. They they come up with these clever little blends, and each blend's a a cuvee. Again, one of the things they can take into account is the vintage, the years.
1: Yeah, and like you said, (laughs) if it's a vintage wine, it's just from the one year growing season. If it's non-vintage. That means you can you're combining various years,
2: right, and typically vintage uh, wines I think tend to be more expensive uh, i have I get the impression that they tend to be a little more revered. They definitely take longer to mature
1: yeah the the fermentation process is longer uh, than the non vintage
2: and you'll see this on the label. it'll say vintage or else it'll say nV a lot of times right um, the two other things for a seller master to take into account are um, the varietals, yeah. And the uh, crew, right?
1: Yeah, C-R-U. So, a crew Not is… the C-R-E-W.
2: Or the C-R-U-E with an umlaut over the U. <laughs> Rock on. Yes. Um, the crew is it's a vineyard, basically. So, you can have grapes all from one vineyard from different years and different varietals. Um, and that'd still be what's called a single crew. Or you could mix different crews, different vineyards, grapes… Um, to, to create a cuvee.
1: Yeah, and the Grand Cru, you might have seen that before on a bottle. Um, that's a If you get the Grand Cru status, then you're really cooking with gas, <laughs> as my dad used to say. Uh, in the mid-1980s, um, well, initially there were only 12 villages that had that Grand Cru status, and then in 1985 uh, they expanded that to 17 because um, five more villages, and I'm not going to try and pronounce all those, were yeah. added to the list. And um, it says here that less than nine percent—it's incredibly low—of all the vineyard land in Champagne has a one hundred percent Grand Cru rating.
2: Right. So again, eighty-four thousand acres, only nine percent of that is the top-rated. Basically, it's saying this land is the primo land for growing Champagne grapes. Yeah. So if you get grapes that are grown there by these people who really know what they're doing, it's you're going to pay through the nose for it. Sure. So a Grand Cru. Um, champagne is going to be pretty expensive but there's a there's a reason behind it
1: yeah it's not just marketing
2: no and varietals too like you said there's three grapes right yeah, just those three and depending on how you put them together you can come up with a, a type of cuvee as well right so blanc de blanc means white of whites that's made just with chardonnay grapes huh. blanc de noir is made with um, just one of the other black grapes, either the Pinot Meunier or the Pinot uh, Noir. That's right. Um, but all those three things are factored together to create a specific cuvee.
1: Well, and then you've got your rosé that you mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, your pink wine, or as my friend Stacy calls it, pink crack. It's good stuff. She gets a hold of that stuff. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is, uh, well, they, they, there are a couple ways you can do this. Um, sometimes you... Leave some of the uh, skin for a little bit of time, but these days, more or less, you're going to be adding a little bit of the red wine, um, Pinot Noir red wine, to the cuvee. So I think those like are the different. Still wine
2: that's different. If you leave the grapes on a little bit, you're going to have pink champagne. If you actually add red wine afterward, you're going to have rose champagne.
1: Well, what's the difference? It says here, rose is also known as pink champagne.
2: I've seen. I know. This is what I'm saying. So it gets confusing because you yeah. definitely get different. Things from different sources, but I have seen in mul- multiple places that uh-huh. when you add red wine, that's rosé, and that keeping the grapes in is, is pink champagne. Interesting. But um, apparently there's something like three million bottles of red wine are set aside every year just to make rosé champagne. What a waste. <laughs> Man, I'm really I'm, I'm changing your mind about champagne.
1: Uh, no, you're not. I'm um, going to. Emily likes rosé. Rosé champagne? No, I mean she'll have that but just still Rose there's also rose with gas that's not champagne
2: it's yeah. just a little gassy it's it's kind of different yeah it's I'm just not too. a fan of
1: all that stuff oh, yeah I love it
2: yeah it's I, and it's not like I discriminate against wines either but um, I'm I'm definitely prefer champagnes or sparkling wines over still wine yeah. like any day of the week
1: yeah yeah we're the opposite yeah in more ways than one yeah <laughs> uh, are we at the Riddler yet? Because this is my favorite part.
2: Uh, so, oh, we've got the blend. Uh-huh. And once you once you blend it, you uh, have to put it in bottles. And one of the things, Chuck, about the AOC, this uh, method Champagnoise, is once you put it in that bottle, it stays in there until the person who buys it and drinks it takes it out. Yeah. You have to keep it in the same bottle.
1: Yeah. All right? Yeah. Why would you switch it? bottles it'd be weird anyway
2: um well you'd you used to want to decant it to get sediment out um you might just put it in one bottle to reuse the bottles who knows yeah but you you once you put it in the bottle it's got to stay in the bottle and after that initial cuvee is blended they put it in the bottle and they let it sit and depending on what kind um what kind it is? If it's non-vintage, it's going to sit there for twelve more months. Yeah, for a total of a minimum of fifteen. Yeah, at if, least. If it's vintage, it's going to sit there for uh, another three years, and just age in the bottle.
1: That's right. And so at this point, you're going to start. You want the bubbles, so you're going to start that second fermentation process by adding uh, sugar and yeast. Then you drop the temperature on your cooler uh, to about fifty to sixty. Uh, which is cooler than the initial fermentation process.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, well, you can also do this in the tank, like there are different methods, but
2: it, right. that's the that's called the um, Charmette method.
1: The tanks? Yeah. But I think the old world method is, well, geez,
2: you can't use tanks. you got to use bottles. And I don't even
1: think old world is the right term. That's old, oldish. I'll just say old, but I think old world means something very specific with wine.
2: Oh, yeah, I can see that. I think it means non-Californian.
1: See, this is where we get in trouble. <laughs> uh, so this is a very slow fermentation process, the second one. And um, the yeast is is living and dying, and those cells are breaking apart, and it's mm-hmm. this really interesting process is going on inside that bottle.
2: Yeah, it's eating up all that sugar that you added in what's called the liquor de t- tirage. Right, and when you add that in, and you add the yeast in, the yeast are like, "This is great. We're going to live here for generations, eons by our time table."
1: Yeah, like look at all this delicious sugar that we can eat.
2: And they eat it and eat it and they eat all of the sugar in this second fermentation process. And what we're doing here now is recreating those that natural fluke of a condition where it would get cold and then warm up again. Yeah, and that second fermentation process would start to make the. CO2, same thing's happening here, but this is a very controlled version of that. Sure. So, the yeast is eating it, and like you said, they're dying and breaking open. And so, when you're drinking champagne, part of what you're drinking are the the internal remnants of yeast cells that have spilled their contents into the champagne.
1: That's why I don't drink it.
2: But- they also leave behind some stuff you don't want to drink, which are the cell structures. And that creates what's called sediment. It's basically leftover cellular structure of yeast cells. And you want to get that out.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, through a process called riddling. And I mentioned the Riddler is my favorite uh, person in this process. It's a pretty thankless job to be the Riddler. Is it? I think so. I'll bet you get a lot of free champagne. Well, sure. That's thanks. Yeah, but it, it's a very solitary and... Redundant, yeah. Oh, yeah. Repetitive, yeah. Uh, so this Riddler, the the wine at this point is stored upside down at a seventy five degree angle, mm-hmm. and that is uh, allowing all this all these dead yeast cells to collect down near the the neck. Um, they, by hand, go in every day
2: mm-hmm.
1: and turn these bottles one eighth of a turn. Twenty thousand, thirty thousand bottles. I saw
2: up to forty thousand
1: a day. They do this by hand, Yep, and they're just rotating these. Uh, it's, I can't imagine doing this. I mean, it's your life's work. You've got to really be dedicated <laughs> to your craft to be a Riddler.
2: And it takes about four to six weeks of this, this um, dedicated attention.
1: It's a very fast process, though, if you've ever seen a Riddler at work. Oh, yeah. you know.
2: But they have to remember that they turn the bottle, so they make a little chalk mark on each one.
1: Yeah, 40,000 times in sure. a day yeah man it's amazing
2: so they they' they're turning the bottle and like you said it's turned up in an angle and the whole point of this is that you're slowly because you don't want to disturb the champagne it's still in, it's still maturing right mm-hmm. um, but this is toward the end of that maturation phase either that 12 month or that 36 month minimum and as you're turning it, what you're doing is kind of shaking the bottle a little bit too, and you're just trying to get the, the yeast cells, what's left of them, to move toward the neck. Yeah. Right? And the whole point is this is called maturing on the lees. And the lees, I think, are what the, the sediment is called possibly or else what the – yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay. I think. <laughs> and as it goes down and accumulates at the, toward the front of the neck, you now have uh, one of the last steps called the dégorgement. Or disgorgement. Yes. And what you have is just a a thing of sediment that's accumulated at the neck, and you put it in an ice bath. It's really amazing how they do this. Yeah. And what they used to have to do is they would pop open a bottle, decant it, filter it, and um, they would uh, pour it back so it's filtered. Because one of the things you'll note about champagne is it's very clear. And it undergoes several different clarification steps, but that would have been one of them. This is the same thing, but this one is way cooler. They put the neck in an ice bath, a salt ice bath, so you know it's really cold because, you know, salt lowers the freezing point of ice water.
1: Yeah, and at this point, it's going to create a little yeast plug, <laughs> which is so gross sounding, uh, up there toward the neck. And what they have to do then is get that plug out of there while maintaining the integrity of... The rest of the wine that's inside.
2: Yeah, like you're going to lose some champagne. It's yeah. not a perfect procedure.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's part of the process is to lose some because then they add stuff back in, right? Which we'll get to. Yeah, but um, so they remove. Well, it says in here the cork, but these days, I think that initial one is is a cap, like right. a bottle cap.
2: Bottle cap. You and can so, use that old world bottle cap.
1: <laughs> and you know, go on YouTube and look at uh, a riddler at work and and just check this out it's it's pretty neat mm-hmm. like it's a fast process mm-hmm. as well um did you see the how it's made on that no
2: they they pop it out and a surprisingly small amount comes out like i, I thought it'd just be they'd be like oh god oh jeez like it'd be the most stressful job in the world but it, it, you know enough comes out it's foaming over but um it's not like a, just a tremendous amount and then they smell it to make sure it's not the dude kind of I saw was,
1: uh, put his thumb over it real quick so mm. like it wasn't foaming over at all
2: maybe that's what I saw or maybe that's what he was doing and I didn't catch it
1: yeah pretty interesting though so the Riddler's is doing this by hand because uh, there's you know carbon dioxide gas in there at this point and it forces that plug out and like you said you lose just a little bit uh, then you add uh, maybe a little brandy a little sugar a little white wine uh, back in to get the you know the proper amount of liquid inside the bottle.
2: Right, that's called the dosage, or the liquor de dosage.
1: Don't call it dosage. No. Because <laughs> I did in my head Yeah, for like half of this research.
2: Yeah, and then you go, oh, that oh, is dosage.
1: Well, that's when it helps to watch videos. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then they put that final cork in place. This is one that's going to stay in there until you uncork it, and they tighten it down with that wire uh, as our – Not so great article points out you can make into a little chair (laughs) afterward. Yeah. That's what people do, right? Sure. Uh, And you know, you have to have that thing on there because it, it, like, there's a lot of pressure still building up in that thing.
2: Right. Um, And they've actually, thanks to an 18th century French pharmacist named Antoine Beaumet, he came up with a device to measure the sugar content in wine. So now they know exactly how much sugar to put into. The champagne to raise the pressure back up right. you want about five or six atmospheres of pressure or about i think 60 to 70 square or pounds per square inch of pressure in a bottle of wine how much 50 to 70 i think or 50 to 90 but it's definitely five or six atmospheres of pressure
1: yeah i got 90 90 it's okay. like kind of average
2: okay so um they know how much of that liqueur de dosage to put in, yeah. how much sugar to put back in to raise the, the atmosphere back up. And the other reason you want to do that too, Chuck, is when you're adding that, that sugar back in, that yeast ate all the sugar that was in there and turned it into carbon dioxide that yeah. you put in for the second fermentation. And when they did, they made the champagne as dry as a bone.
1: An extra Brut?
2: So the amount of sugar... It's actually more than that. It's yeah, called Brut
1: brute Naturel. Well, I call it a double X Brut.
2: It's crazy dry. Yeah. I've never had it, but I I've, I can only imagine how Can you have that? Yeah. Oh, really? There's there's one where they don't put in a, any dosage. Huh. They don't add any sugar afterward. So it's bone dry.
1: And that's just for people who really prefer that? That's I not, guess. Because apparently the, the extra Brut is the least popular.
2: Yeah, I can imagine.
1: And I think... I think the the best-selling is sort of that brute, which is sort of in the middle of dry and sweet or uh, sec or demi-sec.
2: And then I think the last one is do, D-O-U-X, is the sweetest of all. Non-brute. Yeah, but brute is drier than extra dry, which is kind of surprising. But if you ever – it's pretty easy to pick up if you just – read it once or twice you're yeah. like oh okay that's that's how it's denoted but all of that is based on how much dosage you put in after you dis, dis uh engorge disgorge the the yeast plug
1: <laughs> engorge yeah uh one of my least favorite words by the way that's a bad one <laughs> um is this true about madame cliquot
2: from what i saw yeah
1: um she was an entrepreneur famously and in fact she's called widow cliquot at times She was widowed at a very young age, sadly, at 27, and took over her husband's wine business and supposedly invented that disgorging process Mm -hmm. herself. Yeah. Which is, uh, I mean, it's kind of simple when you look at it, but I wouldn't have thought to do it.
2: No. Again, I mean, they were decanning them back then, filtering it out. So, And this was, I think, 1813 when the widow, Clicquot, came up with it. And about then is when champagne, the drink, took off at least in France, and started to spread very quickly around the world.
1: Yeah, Napoleon had a lot to do with that, right?
2: I think Napoleon did. By World War I, Winston Churchill reminded everyone, we're not fighting to save just France, boys. We're fighting to save Champagne. Hurrah!
1: (laughs) Um, Should we take another break? I think so. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about what the fuss is with this stuff after this.
0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Jean. Eugene Fodor. Jean, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. and have on the business. I understand now, It's a wise man, marries a wiser woman.
1: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this
0: is Family Therapy.
1: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it.
0: I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken
1: care of. I get the impression that you don't,
0: Stuff with Joshua Charles, stuff you know. All
1: right, so Josh, the master winemaker. The cellar master? Has uh, walked us through the process.
2: What a great job that would be.
1: Yeah. I have a, you know, my friend Robbie is a kind of a rock star winemaker in Napa. Is that right? Yeah, it's pretty great. He's he's like, he's living the good life. I'm sure. In fact, he got in touch at one point because he wanted to start a wine podcast. Uh huh. Uh, And we just sort of emailed back and forth and just never, like he just wanted advice and stuff. Not like he wanted to start one with me because that would be, um, what are those podcasts called when like someone's a super expert and then you got a big dummy?
2: (laughs) Uh, um,
1: uh, I can't think of anything. That's what that would have been.
2: Man, there was like, that was just ripe for jokes.
1: I would have been the Thomas Hayden Church to his uh, Paul Giamatti. Oh,
2: you're talking about sideways. I thought you were talking about wings for a second.
1: I would have been like, when are we going to drink it? Tastes good to me. Yeah. And Robbie would be spitting it out. Yeah. Um, I don't think you should do that. He's very talented and, you know, does quite well like making wine for other people and he also has his own label uh Langevin and Pearson Meyer wines nice. plug plug yeah right uh and when you go to his house and stay with him in his awesome guest house at the top of Howell Mountain uh-huh. you get drunk on like amazing expensive wines that's awesome that he opens like you're drinking that Perrier I'm sorry Perrier this,
2: no this is Pellegrino
1: oh excuse me that's the Italian version of Perrier it is. It's like the like Spumonte. Prosecco. <laughs> What's Spumante? Spumante is Italian, is it? Uh-huh. It's sparkling, right?
2: Yeah, I, I guess Prosecco is Italian as well.
1: I just remember that from when I was a kid: Martini and Rossi, Rossi Spumante. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how that's drilled in my brain.
2: Martini and Rossi, Asti Spumante, <laughs>
1: which probably is like crap uh, sparkling wine. I don't. Isn't it? I
2: don't know that it's good. I don't know. I mean. I think it's I think that's probably what gave you your headache.
1: That and all the low and brow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that still around? I don't know. Isn't that what Bob and Doug drank
2: from no. Strange Brew?
1: No, they drank some sort of Was it made up?
2: No, it, they drank
1: Molson. Well, was it Labatt's? I mean, it was probably some Canadian beer. We're going to get killed over this. Yeah,
2: one. Yeah, we are. Sorry, everybody.
1: All right, so uh, let's move on then to what makes champagne so uh, so expensive and so fancy. Like it has this, um, there's this notion, you know, that you you drink it for celebrations mm-hmm. or that you're like sort of the upper crust of society if you're drinking champagne.
2: Well, supposedly there is an actual reason why champagne is associated with toasting the big events in life. Because, for a thousand years from about the ninth century to the 19th century they had no champagne the, <laughs> the kings of France were coronated in champagne so it was like a celebration right. town for the whole country so toasting with even before the, they were sparkling wines yeah. um, toasting with champagne wine was traditional
1: so right? have, have you ever been in a restaurant and like gotten good news and said waiter champagne Go <laughs> garçon has anyone ever done that? Uh, Besides in movies,
2: I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. It's funny. Like I was watching. Uh, I was watching McConaughey, act, and I it was I was watching a movie on somebody else's seat back on a flight, oh, so wow. I wasn't hearing it. So I was really just watching the movie, right? Uh-huh. And um, I was like, uh, imagine if you were in real life. Around Matthew McConaughey, like in a room with one of his characters, and just okay. how off putting and bizarre that experience would be, <laughs> you know? Because uh-huh. he's just such, he just chews the scenery and everything he does is just so big. Yeah, he's that it, in real life, if you were interacting with that character, you'd be like, calm down, man, <laughs>
1: you're freaking me out. Well, Wooderson was pretty chill. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll give but it everybody Wooderson. since Wooderson, pretty much. All right, boy, that's an interesting thing to think on a plane just hit me (laughs) it hit me on the plane i think if i was in a restaurant and something great happened i would say waiter another gin and tonic and they would go huh (laughs) they'd probably say (laughs) you got it actually i started calling those lime salads at my house
2: nice you're on the gin and tonic now
1: yeah that usually happens around around april oh yeah april to you know september
2: i got one for you um Gin and bitter lemon is a nice combo. Yeah? Yeah. And I thought bitter lemon was just like a fever tree drink. Yeah. They make them. They make a good one. But everybody from like Canada Dry to whoever else makes bitter lemon as well. Uh So just get yourself a good bitter lemon and some gin. You're going to love it.
1: Um, You're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) We should do a – we'll definitely do a podcast on gin at some point. Okay. Very interesting uh, liquor complex can be sure
2: i got another one for you with that bitter lemon Uh if you want to get really fancy get some saint george terroir yeah i'm not a fan you had the dry rye no You, you did you you tried the terroir one
1: yeah it's the one that tastes like feet
2: no that's the dry rye
1: i've tried all three of those saint georges and i don't like any of them Oh, okay i'm a london dry guy
2: well, anyway, you'll still like it with bitter lemon, all right Everyone else would like the terroir St. George with bitter lemon.
1: everyone else on the planet uh-huh. <laughs> because uh-huh.
2: all right, and I figured out what was up with the dry rye. You're absolutely right. You can't make a a martini out of that stuff. It'd kill you. It's not made for it. It's made for things like negroni's. It makes a killer Negroni, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I'm a. I stick to my lime salad, you know. Okay. You know me and my basic needs. But but try the bitter lemon sometime with gin. Okay. Your your dry London's fine. All right. Okay, but with <laughs> with the bitter lemon instead of tonic.
1: Okay, I'll give it a try. And if I don't like it, then I'm just weird because everyone else in the world loves it. No, I'm I'm not saying that. <laughs> you said that. Uh, all right. Where in the world were we? So we were talking about um, what makes champagne so fancy? Yeah. Uh, well, like we said earlier, it's um, you know it's a very small region comparatively speaking. Right. Uh, so that will lend to the price and all these hand processes that they still might use or foot processes. That's a big one. Is going to make it more expensive. Mm-hmm. And anytime the price is being driven up, uh, it's going to have that sort of air of sophistication. Uh, and then of course, when the hip hop scene started, kind of. Uh, Using that in lyrics mm-hmm. and popping champagne on the yacht and the videos. I'm on a boat. <laughs> what was that?
2: That was the Saturday Life
1: short. Oh, okay. With uh Oh, I think I remember
2: that. I don't remember who it was. I was want to say those... two chains, but I don't think it was.
1: Gotcha. Was it one of those Andy Sandberg uh shorts?
2: Not Lil Wayne. Who's the other Lil? Lil Bow Wow? No. He's just Bow Wow now.
1: Really? Yeah. He's Lil... all grows up. <laughs> Man. The guy who was like, yeah, yeah. That guy. I have no idea. You do. Little John? Yes. Jerry was, was over there Lil going, John.
2: John.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh,
2: but yes, it was an Andy Samberg short.
1: Yeah, I do. I think I do remember that. But that definitely um, kind of uh, solidified the uh, sort of, you know. Status? Yeah. Sure. That's exactly the word. I would, I would suggest. I mean, it was already. Right. Solidified.
2: But it definitely didn't hurt. No, especially in the states here, and with a whole new generation of people. Right. Right. Like the younger generation, it's like champagne. Whole new generation of, sudden, of humans. <laughs> right. But then all of a sudden, little John's like, yeah, got some champagne. No, for real. I'm sure the champagne
1: industry was like, seriously, keep doing it. Sure. So it, it,
2: the 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 thing though is there's um, actual reason behind champagne being more expensive. Than your typical wine, but that doesn't mean that all champagne or all, all sparkling wines are
1: out, like out of your price range. No, I mean you can get some cheap sparkling wine that'll give that's you a massive good. headache.
2: No, no, that's not true. Like you can get Chandon wines for twenty bucks, and it's not going to give you a headache. I was talking
1: about the six dollar bottle. Good stuff. Yeah,
2: but twenty bucks. I mean, if you're gonna spring for a decent bottle of wine, sure.
1: If it's New Year's Eve, sure. Why not? (laughs) That's when I'll toast it. Uh, All right, so 20 bucks will get you a good bottle of decent champagne is what you're saying. Yes. Not bad. Or you can spend hundreds of dollars, thousands, tens of thousands at auction, uh, just like wine if you want some super rare collectible wine or uh, champagne.
2: Apparently a quarter of a million dollars for a bottle at the Moscow Ritz-Carlton
1: And that's not even something you drink, right?
2: If you're a jackass, sure. But I mean, if you have to be a jackass to spend a quarter of a million dollars on a (laughs) bottle of champagne anyway, you better drink it, frankly. But champagne you don't keep, right? You can. You can. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding about it, right? So a lot of people think that you keep champagne standing up. You do for about the first month. But if you're keeping it in a cellar, you want to keep it on its side like any bottle of wine. You want the, Mm -hmm. the wine touching the cork. But the reason that champagne actually ages in the bottle, it's just like wine. That, that cork, it's in there pretty good, but it's not airtight. There's a minimal amount of gas exchange going on. So that the, the wine, the champagne, continues to mature over the course of 10, 20, 30 years if you really? keep it. If you keep it the, the key to champagne apparently, storing it, is you want to avoid temperature fluctuations. You want to keep it at about the same temperature for the whole time you have it stored. So,
1: bury it in your backyard. Sure. As, yeah. On its side. Deep. And leave it there.
2: Yeah. Uh, and it will. you will find that all the worms drank it. And you'll be like, worms!
1: <laughs> bury it under the frost line.
2: And you want to keep it out of the sunlight, too.
1: Well, underground.
2: But apparently, as it ages, I've never had old champagne, but as it ages, its taste starts to mellow. Um, and it takes on dried fruit, nutty, toasty honey notes or like the main notes that it hits
1: yeah we had a bottle of dom perignon that was awful when we opened it but we didn't it was every improper thing you could do we did so including moving it in a hot truck oh yeah from la to atlanta (laughs) (laughs) that's funny a hot moving truck yeah i don't know i mean we just don't drink it much so we just had it emily got it as a gift if that happens you just just put some fresh squeezed orange juice in there it's fine boom then you got a mimosa yeah i'll have a mimosa occasionally that's champagne. I know. And orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> that's the key. But the orange juice? Well, I mean, I enjoy mimosa more than uh, just regular champagne.
2: It's like a whole, it's definitely one of those things that's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. You know? I don't think I ever said, Chuck, that um, the those two quarter of a million dollar bo- bottles of champagne were from a shipwreck that was headed to Russia yeah. to bring champagne to the Tsar's family. And it, like, well, the shipwrecked. And they discovered it in the 90s, and now they're selling it at the Ritz-Carlton.
1: To, what did you say? Jack Jackasses. <laughs> and I think that's the one that's like a collector's piece, right? I, I don't know. You like put it on your wall? That's
2: not the ro- I, I I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. Besides, just drink it and hope for the best.
1: Well, sh- should we talk about drinking it in the proper way to open it and to pour it? Yes, please. And consume it? Yeah. Because... Uh, if you if you don't know what you're doing and you've seen too many movies, you might try and pop that cork out across the room. It's very dangerous. It is very dangerous. And people get injured, right? Are there deaths, I think? I didn't see any. Or is that like a urban legend?
2: I would guess an urban legend. I could be wrong. I'm thinking if you died from getting hit with a cork, you had a pre-existing condition.
1: <laughs> is that covered? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Under Obamacare, sure. I guess we'll see. So uh, you'll get about six flutes if you're pouring properly out of a bottle of champagne. You want to serve it between 40 and 45 degrees.
2: Celsius or Fahrenheit? Uh, That's Fahrenheit, right? I don't know. Uh,
1: If you are caught with your pants down (laughs) at a party. Just go champagne, (laughs) and it'll get you out of anything. Um, And you want to chill it very quickly. You can uh, put it in an ice bath and not to... Get out that yeast plug, but just to make it cold fast, just like you would beer or something. Are the neck? You mean? No, no, no. The whole bottle. If you if you want to serve it, oh, sure. And you got a hot bottle of champagne in your moving truck. <laughs> right. Throw it in an ice bath for about twenty minutes, and you should be good to go.
2: Yeah, if you, there's a party trick you can do too, where if you put just the neck in the ice bath, you can use what's called a saber. You can actually use anything. I've seen somebody do it on on video with
1: a shoe. Yeah, you don't even have to freeze it if you're a, a good saber
2: Yeah, but you you kind of want to. You want the neck very, very cold because you want the glass to just crack off cleanly.
1: Yeah, and what the deal is, if you've ever seen someone, it's called Saberage. Um We mentioned earlier that the champagne bottle is very thick uh, because it's uh, in there at about 90 PSI. Where the seam meets the lip, it's about 50% less glass. Mm. And so that's a, a vulnerable area. And that's what makes sabering possible. Yep. And so you use, well, like you said, you could use a shoe, I guess, if you're, you know, if you're that guy,
2: right? <laughs> but there's traditional sabers. They're, yeah. they're they look like a little sword. They are a little sword. Yeah. They just aren't ground to a point or an edge. They're very blunt. Well, because the point is yeah, using sure. blunt force on a weak point of the of the neck of the bottle
1: yeah but you can use your like a saber can be sharp you just use the the other side of it
2: okay all right sure
1: and um i mean it's it's pretty neat to do (laughs) because you're not like i think for a while i thought you were just uh knocking the cork out that's what i thought as well but you're 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 knocking the glass off yeah
2: the top the, the top lip of the of the bottle is coming clean off if you're doing it correctly
1: and it, it's that is also dangerous if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> yeah. because that thing will fly, you know, 15, 20 feet or yep. more. Yeah. And that's actual glass.
2: What you want to do is have a sharpshooter handy to shoot it out <laughs> of the sky before it hurts anybody.
1: That's right. And have everyone stand behind you.
2: Yeah. That's the traditional way.
1: Um, how you really open it is, and this is a, uh, e- even if you're not just popping the cork, you might like twist the cork off. You want to twist the bottle. That's sort of the number one rule to open it cleanly and non-dangerously and without wine, uh, champagne. You know, getting all over the place, mm-hmm. like when you open a, a tonic bottle <laughs> <laughs> or soda, anything fizzy. That's it's one of good. our traditions backstage at stuff you should know shows. Is Josh opens a tonic bottle, just get it all over, spews everywhere, and you go, "What's the deal?" <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: every single time. Um. I think because I have so many lime salads and just I know you gotta go easy with those tonic bottles.
2: I do, and it still will spray <laughs> me. It's it's almost comical. Almost.
1: Um no, it's pretty funny. Um so you're twisting the bottle. Uh if, if you have a towel, you can hold it over the cork. Yeah. But you really don't need it as no. long as you're kind of holding it with your hand. Right. And twist that bottle, uh, put your thumb in the punt, as yep. they call it, which is that the area at the bottom of the bottle. The divot.
2: Yeah, the punt. The concave part. Yeah, the punt. Sure.
1: So put your thumb in the punt, um, and then you've got it open, and you tilt the glass, pour it in a little bit, pour a little bit more. Uh, You want about three quarters of a flute, and uh, put your pinky up and go to town.
2: Yeah, and uh, I did a brain stuff on what the best kind of glass for champagne is, and apparently the tulip is. It's a combination Uh between the coupe and the flute. Um, You've probably
1: seen it before. The, no, I didn't see that one. It's a no, oh, I th- thought you meant the episode. no, the, the tulip glass. Yeah, I've seen tulips.
2: Um, but apparently they allow for the most sparkle. And if you, if you have the so the bubbles coming up, the French call effervescence. And if you look at a glass of champagne that you're just holding there in front of you, when they bubble up to the top, they accumulate into a foam. And uh, that is called mousse, like chocolate mousse. Remember Top Secret?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: It, but it's not that; it's just mousse, right? Is what they call it, or foam is another way to put it. Yeah. But that's what they call it. And so, actually, when you're creating the um, second fermentation process of the um, champagne making, what the the method champagne was, uh-huh. it's called um, the prise de mousse or the foam creation.
1: Wow, a lot there's, a and lot. that's why you pour it slow too, because if you go too fast, it's going to get everywhere. Like your tonic.
2: And then you pour it three quarters full and you toast and say, huzzah, 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 I think is the traditional thing you're supposed to say. So you like champagne yet? No, it's just not for me. That's fine. (laughs) Don't feel bad for me. I won't then. (laughs) Uh, If you want to know more about champagne, go get you some. Uh, And in the meantime, you can type that word in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail.
1: All right, I'm going to call this one, uh, well, getting the nomenclature correct. Something we always strive to do and don't always do. (laughs) Uh, Hey, guys, let me start by saying you've been listening to your show for two years. You've added so much joy, laughter, and knowledge to my life. Uh, I know you're always intentional and sensitive about the language you use on your show. And while listening to the MS episode, I noticed something I've heard you two say in the past. Uh, I work in suicide prevention and hope to change the culture and reduce the stigma around suicide. As you know, one of the first steps of doing that is examining the language we use. The phrase commit suicide is very common, of course, and has been used for a very long time. However, the word commit makes it sound criminal. Uh, This perpetuates a stigma that there is something bad or wrong with someone who is experiencing thoughts of suicide, making it less likely that they will reach out and ask for help. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to use the word died by suicide or completed suicide as an alternative and more factual term, uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's a great resource for more information. And, of course, I need to plug uh, my own nonprofit. I work for NotMyKid.org. I uh, appreciate everything you guys do. Please come to Phoenix. I guarantee you will sell out a show there. Uh, sincerely, that is Sarah Tisden, uh, a.k.a. Hope Dealer. Oh, wow. Stealing hope.
2: That's a heck of a... Aka.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I never thought about that, but uh, that I'm is gonna, not true. That is not true.
2: That. You have, have because I? we've been called out on this before. Really? Yes, but I think we've even done a listener mail on it before. Oh, but it's man. so ingrained. I know. To say commit and then completed just sounds like they finished their homework or something like that. Right. But died by suicide. I could. I can get behind that, and I will try. But it's just so hard to not say
1: committed. What, though, if you're saying if it hasn't happened, you're saying someone was going to... Attempt was it. thinking, attempting suicide? Okay.
2: Yeah. I think that one's kosher.
1: All right. Man, I didn't know we've covered this, so I feel bad that I still haven't gotten over that then. Yeah, same here. All right. I'm going to work on it.
2: Yeah, same here. Thanks for, for calling us out, Hope Dealer. Appreciate yeah. that. Thanks, Sarah. Keep dealing that hope. Open up your trench coat and be like, this is what I got. Right.
1: I'll take a lot out. Right uh
2: If you want to get in touch with us to correct us, uh, prod us, whatever, um, lay it on us. Send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeart Radio. For more podcasts from heart Radio, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. With a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, it's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly, edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees, and the Weber Works Prep Cook-In-Store System keeps cooking supplies handy. You can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. So get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle.
0: Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
2: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever you don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.